Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Claire McKenna. You're listening to Changemakers, the podcast series that talks to people at the forefront of change. But you should never underestimate the power of a conversation. It can reframe the way we think, the information we seek and the conversations we go on to have. This is all part of the change process. I was quite blown away by this week's episode with Sandra Healy, co-founder of Inclusio, a science-based data-led diversity and inclusion platform designed to measure, track and action diversity and inclusion in the workplace. We talk about her career in tech spanning over 20 years and how a moment when she noticed a major gap between the number of men and women at a conference to now working to have a more equal playing field for all so that a workforce represents the diversity of our classrooms, our society and ultimately the customers of a business. We talk about bias from seeing a name or an address on a CV right the way through the workforce and I found myself with a bias. I was still thinking of inclusion through a bit of an us and them lens, that it was a good idea to have more people who are different than me working alongside me and to break down any barriers to that. And that is true to a degree, but after talking to Sandra, I've realised it's actually about all of us. We are all different and it goes deeper than race or nationality or gender. And it's important we come together and make sure every voice is heard. Sandra, you are very welcome to Changemakers. Thank you, Claire. I'm delighted to be here. So before we get into Inclusio and the idea, just want to get a little bit into your background. So is it tech that you started out in 20 years ago? Uh, would you believe, Claire, I actually started out in graphic design many years ago in London, uh, and then eventually I moved into tech uh, and it was uh, I'm giving away my age here it was back in the days of the of the rise of the internet uh, and that's really what brought me to tech and I moved in to uh, become a technical engineer into telecoms uh, I I had actually worked in Harrods would you believe uh, where I was involved in establishing the graphic design studio and after that then I w- moved into the Guardian uh, where I was involved in uh, in telecoms at that point, I used to set up the laptops for the reporters out in the field. Uh, and then I got into um, internet working in, in the telecoms industry. So all in all, across the UK and Ireland, I spent 20 years in in telecoms, uh, mainly uh, on, on the technical side. So technical engineering, and then eventually into pre-sales consulting, and then eventually into senior roles in sales and customer delivery and customer experience. And how diverse was the workforce then? Uh, that's a that's a very interesting question because if I if I think about what brought me to diversity and inclusion, um, so if, if I think about the tech industry and what that was like twenty years ago, I think one of the biggest uh, challenges was was around the lack of gender diversity, and uh, I suppose for me, I always describe that you know I found my way. I grew up in a house with three boys, uh, so from that, uh, I, I I you know I was able to. Uh, be successful and and uh, make sure I had a voice in that environment. But I'm sure it wasn't the same for for everybody. But for me, one of the things that it, when I realised that there's a real challenge here, uh, I was working for a, a global telco that brought uh, 350 of us together in London for a week long, where they were setting up a a, a new global team of technical uh, and sales experts. And when we turned up at the Excel Centre in London there were 10 women in the room out of 350. And I think it's the first time that I actually realized that, okay, there's a real challenge here. You know, it's not just my personal experience of, of the part of the industry that I'm in. Uh, it, it was very stark, to, you know, 10 women uh, for five days. And, and the only woman that was on stage was the woman who was introducing the men. <laughs> um, so that was really the first time that I realized that, you know, 
all is not equal that the, that that the industry really had a long way to go when it came to uh, gender um, diversity. And that's so interesting. When I think of diversity and inclusion, it's like I just go straight to multicultural workforces. It's like I've moved on from the gender thing. I just assume there's more women around. And now I'm hoping we have another layer that they all come from a diverse background. Yeah, I think like I always questioned why do we why are women diverse right why are they part of this diversity categorization um and because like women are 51 percent of the population so we're not diverse we're actually the majority uh, but i think it's related to the fact that in that particular industry uh, there was a lack a lack of women at the time now thankfully certainly over the over the years and i've been part of driving that through some of the initiatives that i've been involved in um, around like promoting tech careers to young women, for example, and trying to encourage young women to come in into the sector and not just into technical roles, but actually come into the sector and be part of and, and look at the tech uh, sector as uh, as part of your career. And I, I think it goes back to that old saying of if you can't see it, you can't be it. And I think we know that and we know that over and over again. And I, I know you're asking there about the you know, is it just gender or, or beyond gender? Like, I agree, Claire, like that for me, diversity is the recognition that each one of us is individually different, right? So it's much broader, even how how I think about it, rather than just the color of our skin or our sexuality or our gender or whatever our difference happens to be. Uh, for me, diversity is the recognition that we're all individually different and how can we make that work and uh, come together in, in, a, in a workplace that creates... Uh, an environment that is productive, that people are connected and people feel like they belong. Um, but thankfully, what I have seen over the years is the shift, you know, from organizations generally start with gender. It's the one that's measured. It's the one that's, you know, very visible. Uh, and all the research will show that if you get the gender one right and you really start to focus on that, uh, it's a lot easier then to start to focus on and, and get better at uh, being more inclusive of other uh, differences. And it's interesting you say that about education because I, I think that is another layer that has to come into it. We're, we're very classist in our in our workforce, um, even though we've begun to break down barriers when it comes to gender, when it comes to different race and culture. Quite often it's people from the same background who have ab- had access and privilege to education. And that's another barrier we need to begin to, to break down. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. And, and certainly one that doesn't go unnoticed, I think, in Ireland, and certainly doesn't go unnoticed as part of uh, diversity and inclusion work, thankfully. Um, so we would describe that as socioeconomic background and or socioeconomic difference. Uh, and if I think about so when I came out of tech, I spent five years in Dublin City University, and that's where we built Inclusio. And part of the work I did in there, I went in as head of equality, diversity and inclusion for the university, but I was also involved in the access program. And the access program, for those who are, who are not familiar with it, at every university in Ireland, I think, has an access program. Essentially, that's for people who are from uh, um, uh, different socioeconomic backgrounds, uh, to get access to higher education and to make sure that they're supported throughout their journey uh, in higher education to be successful. Now, they don't walk around with a badge on them saying, you know, I'm from the Access program. They're, this, they're in, you know, people in all different disciplines. Uh, but what we do find with that cohort, they have some of the highest completion rates and some of the highest marks of any other cohort in the university, which is very interesting because what we see is uh, it's through the adversity that builds the resilience of those young people. It's generally young people uh, builds that you know uh, resilience and that determination to complete. But exactly as you say, Claire, the biggest challenge for them then can be, well, how do I get access to the workplace? You know, if I don't have my dad or my mother or my uncle or whoever getting me access or, or guiding me, sometimes it's just a guidance. Uh, how? 
how do I know what direction to take? And, and part of the work they do in DCU is um, they've created an internship program, which is fantastic for access students to get access to the workplace before they graduate. So the first time they walk in the door of the buildings with the big shiny windows, right? The first time they go in there, it's not uh, on their, you know, their, their graduate recruitment that they've had the opportunity to go in and start to build their networks and get a real sense of what it's like to be part of, of a workforce. But it's a big challenge and, and, you know, accent would be something address is another, is another thing um, that can be indicators and, and, you know, when when it comes to inclusive recruitment, we need to make sure that that would be one of the key things is making sure we don't screen people out because of the school they went to or because of the their address or or their accent. Um, so it's a it's a big challenge. And does that still go on? Do you think if somebody gets a CV in that a, a, a name will put yeah, people like- off or will become a barrier to them getting a job? There's a lot of research out um, that shows that particularly if somebody is doesn't have an Irish sounding or spelling name, um, that, that that is a real challenge. I know um, Dr. Ebon Joseph, her PhD research looked at that, the barriers um, for people of color um, getting access to the Irish workplace. And it's not just her research, actually. There's lots of different groups um, uh, have done uh, tests around that, you know, of sending in exactly the same CV with two different names on it to see what kind of response they get. Like that's bias, whether it be conscious or unconscious, that's what we're dealing with there. Uh, and we really, if if we want to create a diverse workforce and an inclusive culture that, you know, a diverse workforce that is reflective of the societies and the customers um, that we serve, uh, we really need to nail that and, and move beyond that bias at the screening and at the hiring piece, because you'll never be able to get that, uh, that you won't, you won't be able to hire in the diversity and you certainly won't create an inclusive culture. Like it's very easy to create, I use inverted commas, inclusive culture of everybody's the same in the culture. And um, the challenge around an inclusive culture is when you start to hire in uh, diversity, how do you create that uh, inclusive environment where you can activate the diversity and really bring that innovation to the company and start to build that sustainable organization. That's the challenge. Uh, and you need to do those two things in uh, concurrently. So, you ha- and it starts at the hiring, the hiring process, that screening process and, and the hiring panels. You know, I often describe uh, it's, it, this concept, it's called an academic concept called homophily, which essentially it means uh, people like people like themselves, right? So that's what we're up against. Um, we hear of these sayings like birds of a feather flock together, for example. That's what we're trying to overcome. Our brains are pattern matching machines. We like being with people who are the same as us. We like hiring people the same as us, working with people who are the same as us. But that is, goes against everything we're trying to do when it comes to being reflective of our society or reflective of our customers. So what we need to do is put interventions and and become aware of our biases to the point that uh, they don't negatively impact the work that we've been asked to do. I caught myself with a bias recently. I I was catching up with somebody I hadn't seen for a while at a family funeral and she was telling me that one of her daughters was studying to become a doctor and I heard myself say oh and, and where did that come from? Is there somebody in your family who is a doctor? And I think that's because particularly with something that requires the amount of study as a doctor, you almost need to watch someone in your family do it to believe that you can actually do it. I'm also fascinated often if I if I'm ever in front of an orchestra, say, and I see somebody playing a violin and you think, how do you how do you find out you're that good at playing the violin? And usually it's because there was one lying around the house. So I I always think we need to really go back to the beginning and making sure that everyone's getting access to everything, particularly self-belief. Yeah, and, and I think that goes back to the uh, point that I made earlier, Claire, just around if you can't see it, you can't be it. And and that's really important. Even if I think about my own personal journey now as an entrepreneur in my 50s, <laughs> uh, you know, what I think back, like what gives me the courage and and the determination to know that on, I'm on the right path, like on both my mother's and my father's sides, there's, there's history of entrepreneurship. 
So for me, I know that that's in me. So it makes it a lot easier for me to, to, um, to make that decision and to trust myself that I'm heading in the right direction around that. But it's also, you think about the point where, where we were talking about people from different socioeconomic backgrounds that potentially don't have those role models in the community, don't have um, the parents who can direct them because the parents didn't have the opportunity to be directed themselves. That's why it's really important we have things like the access program. That's why it's really important we try and get into young people earlier in school and create role models for them. Because exactly as you say, you know, it's not doesn't necessarily have to be somebody in your family. Uh, It can be somebody that just happened to inspire you. Right. And that could be somebody that came in and told you their personal story in the classroom and gives you a bit of an, an opportunity for you to start exploring and think about, well, you know what, that could be me. So really, really important that we take the time. And that's for me is the paying it forward, getting the opportunity to get back into young people and, and try and encourage them um, and, and help them uh, chart a path uh, into a different life if, if that's what they want. And I suppose that's where the tech comes in. Our, our communities have got so much wider and we've so much more access to more information that has its drawbacks, but it can also be very inspiring rather than a talk in a school. It can be something, a TED talk you see, a video you see on on YouTube that can really reshape and, and reframe. And we are talking about so much more now. So where did you go from standing in the Excel saying something's a bit off with the balance here with 10 women out of 350 delegates where where did you go next with that well at the time I was studying psychology so in part-time I did an honors degree in psychology so I was learning at the time and that may have been part of my awareness in in that moment as well because I was learning more about people I was exploring you know what makes us tick and I was also learning about the importance of work for us as as a as humans, you know, that it is something that, that we need to, to feel fulfilled and to feel part that we contribute to something to the world. Uh, so I was learning about that. So wh- what I did with it, I came back, I remember, and I went into the HR director and I said, uh, I, re- I heard you giving a talk there a couple of weeks ago and I'm studying psychology and I'm starting to read and learn about this work called diversity and inclusion. This was back many years ago. Uh, and I said, I'm learning about it and I'm learning about uh, how we can bring it into the workplace. And I said, if I go and and do a white paper and bring it to you, will you consider it and will you support me on um, on, uh, raising awareness of it throughout the organization? And she said, yeah, sure, off you go. (laughs) So what I did was I decided um, that I was going to interview uh, who I believed were inclusive leaders in tech and it, and that's what I did. I went and I interviewed um, both men and women um, in the tech industry uh, that, you know, because I was in tech at the time, so it was easy for me to get access to them. And I just interviewed them and, and just said, you know, what is it? How would you describe what you do as, as being an inclusive leader? And it was absolutely brilliant because I got some really good case studies and it was interesting. They didn't understand the language of diversity and inclusion either because it wasn't widely circulated at that time. Um, but they just led inclusively. So essentially, they were leaders that had high empathy, that cared about the people that worked for them. Uh, and they knew that leading inclusively would help them get the best out of their people and get the best for the company. Uh, so that's what they did. And and that's I put that in a white paper. It was four pages. And I brought that to the HR director and said, OK, we have to put a plan together around this. Will you support me doing that? And thankfully, she did. And I think anybody listening at at this stage will realise that to have a a diverse and inclusive world aside from workforce is fair and it's the right thing to do. But it also leads to a more effective workforce, doesn't it? Well, it it, it is about sustainability uh, of your business, because if you think now, Claire, like children are in school now and they're in multicultural schools um, they're on the internet, they're connected to people from all over the world. They, there is this expectation that when they go into the workplace, that it is reflective of what they've come from. Like universities are multicultural, universities are diverse and inclusive, 
And, and if I think about the work, for example, in, in DCU, one of the other uh, projects I was involved in was universal design and learning, where we, were, where we looked at the, the learning environment and the physical environment, looking at how could we make that more inclusive and more equitable for everybody. So young people are coming into that, coming out of multicultural schools, coming into that environment, and that's what they expect the workplace to be. And if they go into the workplace and it's not like that, uh, there's going to be a real challenge for that particular organization because it will be a revolving door. And, and I was reading some research there recently, which is a bit frightening, where they're saying that Gen Zs, so the new generation coming into the workforce now, uh, the, there's a prediction that they'll have 10 jobs by the time they're 34 years of age, that they see jobs as a stepping stone. But for them, diversity um, so that reflection of the workforce being reflective of what they've come from and an inclusive environment uh, is an absolute imperative. And if it's not there, they, they leave. And that can be a real challenge. I mean, is there a box ticking going on with, with organisations or is there a genuine want to become diverse and inclusive? Yeah, I, th- I think it's a mix. Um, certainly what I've seen... Like if I think about back back in 2016, Claire, there was me and 10 slides uh, when I came up with the idea to build Inclusio. And for me, that came from uh, recognizing a problem that I wanted to solve and a problem that I was experiencing as a DNI practitioner. And back then, I remember pitching me and my 10 slides. Uh, it was to a female founders program. Uh, and I describe it as a tumbleweed moment because I was there, I was pitching, I was talking about diversity, I was talking about the importance of inclusion, and I was talking about compliance. And, and I describe it as like a tumbleweed moment, the seven people who were sitting across the table, because they just were looking at me saying, what is she talking about? It was just, it wasn't, so it wasn't mainstream. Uh, it was only in my world, which I realized fairly quickly after that pitch. <laughs> um, so thankfully, I've seen certainly over the last five or six years uh, that diversity and inclusion is a, a top priority for most organizations. And then it comes to the leaders, right? It, it, you know, the leaders are the custodians of the culture. So then is it is it a tick box? That will depend on, you know, is the leader going to put the, the effort and the time and the money behind um, building that inclusive workforce and focusing on on diversity? Or are they going to take the shortest route of, um, I describe it as diversity theater. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before, um, which is essentially tick box. So it all looks wonderful from the outside and everybody thinks it's great from the outside, but actually that's not what it's like when you're in the organization. And the defense will often be, look, the best person for the job gets the job. Is that just unrecognized bias that a, a white male is nine times out of 10, or I don't know the exact statistic best for the job, that assumption. Well, it's like the the number one thing that we all have to commit to is the best person for the job. But the challenge is if you only have one group of people in front of you, how is that? Where's the equity in that? So when I speak to organizations, I say that, you know, the challenge, how you challenge and, and drive change is making sure you have diversity on your hiring slate. Like, so if you have 50-50, for example, gender, if you have then 20% across that of uh, people from different nationalities, whatever your, your hiring, um, diverse hiring plan is, you need to make sure that they are part of the recruitment process. Because if, if you don't have them at the beginning at the process, how can you select them as you take them through the process? I think it was very interesting. I, I was working with, I won't say the name of the organization. Um, it, it was a bank. I was working with one of the banks. And they, I heard that there was some, you know, people saying, oh, the only way you get promoted around here is if you're a woman, which is quite interesting. And really all that has shifted in that particular organization is if you're a man going for a promotion, instead of you having 80% of getting the job, you now only have 50% of you getting the job. So that's interesting, isn't it? So what shifted there, right? There was no compromise on quality, okay, which is interesting that that even comes into it at all. No compromise on quality. It just meant now that there was equitable access to the opportunity. 
and and that's what needs to happen and that certainly has been my journey in tech like if i think about uh, the the last tech company that i worked in it was probably the only tech company i was ever in where i felt i had equitable access to opportunity and that's a very different environment um to the environment from year many years ago in tech where it was a tap on the shoulder that's how somebody got a job was the tap on the shoulder and depending on how close they were with the person who was doing the hiring uh, rather than based on merit hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And I would have thought with a tech company, particularly a telecoms company, I suppose I'm I'm thinking of Dennis O'Brien type companies like Digicel, you know, who are all over the world. So you've people from one side of the globe talking and working with somebody on the other side of the globe. But that's not quite the same, is it, as a diverse workforce? That's just a global workforce. Yeah, that's not quite the same. I, I think like if, if we go back to that the point around the... The, your organization being reflective of the customers and the communities you serve. So that would be, in Dennis O'Brien's case and, and Digicel, um, looking at what's the makeup of their workforce in each of the regions that they're in, for example. Like, and that, that's how you get the best out of the people in those regions is if you're, you know, as much as you possibly can, looking at, am I reflective of the community that we're serving here? You know, is my workforce... Uh, reflective of the customers that we have here. Like there's reams of research that shows when when you take that approach, um, you get the best out of your people, but you also, customers are more loyal to you when they see that you're um, you're working and focused on being reflective of the local communities. And why isn't it happening automatically in the same way as our education system has begun to reflect the change in our communities here in Ireland? Because it takes conscious effort and it, it, in some ways you're slowing things down. Like I would describe it as slowing down to speed up because if you've, like if you look at our job adverts, some job adverts are exactly the same as they were 50 years ago. Uh, if you look at the language that's used in job adverts, uh, so quite often it hasn't changed <laughs> for the last 20, 25 years. So we, it, it's the slowing down piece. It's the stopping. It's the looking at what, how have we always done things? Are we, is this the right way? And is there something we need to be doing differently to get different results? And it, it, it takes time and effort to do that. Like we were talking about bias, you know, you're, you, you have to take some time and conscious effort to check your bias, to learn, like you don't, you can't eradicate your biases. All you can do is identify them and uh, come up with a strategy for um, an intervention around making sure that it doesn't impact your hiring or your decision making. So I think, um, look, there's lots, thankfully, there's lots of examples of companies out there that have got it right. They they recognize uh, the business benefits. They recognize that it is about building a sustainable organization when, when you slow down to get it right. And eventually you can get back to the same pace again. But if you've been for example, hiring or recruiting or promoting or developing uh, and selecting people within the organization in a certain way, and you've been doing that for 20, 25 years, and you keep doing the same thing, you're going to keep getting the same result. So when did the idea for Inclusio come to you? Yeah, so I've been involved in, so when I finished my uh, 
my undergrad in in uh, psychology, I then went on to do a master's in uh, organizational psychology in DCU. And, the, and then actually I left the tech industry and I went into DCU for five years to uh, develop and deliver the strategy for the university around diversity and inclusion. And but when I was in tech uh, and leading on on DNI, uh, one of the things I realized is that there was a lack of um, measurement. So on one side of my work in sales and customer delivery and customer experience, I had really clear KPIs and a way to evidence the progress that I was making to the business. And yet here I was doing this very meaningful work in diversity and inclusion with no way to show the business the impact of it. Uh, and that got me thinking. I remember one of my colleagues, I was talking to him there the other day, ex-colleagues in learning and development, uh, lengthy coffees with him saying, Martin, there has to be a better way to do this. You know, I'm learning about all of this science behind people in work. Uh, I know the technology is there. There has to be a way to combine this to bring a scientific evidence-based approach to diversity and inclusion. So that's when I put together my 10 slides and made the brave move of uh, making a decision to go into uh, and start my own business and move in uh, to entrepreneurship. And that was back in 2016. Uh, so that's where the idea came from, is, is to solve a problem that I had experienced as a DNI practitioner. And are you in any way conflicted that you have to sell diversity and inclusion in this way, that there has to be a way to to market and see how well it's doing in order for people to get on board with it? Is it a bit too Disney of me to just think, why can't we all just get along? Yeah, I think like if if we keep doing the same things the way we've always done them, we'll keep getting the same results, right? So it's it's easy to say, why can't we all get along? We can, but our world is changing around us. Like that's the challenge, right? The world out there is changing. We have the Me Too movement. We have Black Lives Matter. We have gender pay gap reporting. We have COVID now disrupting. The world out there has fundamentally changed. And we, if we keep thinking, oh, why can't we all just get along? Uh, it doesn't solve the challenge of change. And it certainly doesn't help us solve our own individual challenge around people like people like themselves. So when it comes to the work that we're doing in diversity and inclusion, like we describe ourselves as a social impact business. Uh, and I say business deliberately because it has to be a business or we're not going to have the social impact and the global impact that we are on a mission to deliver. Uh, and that is making workplaces better and more equitable for everybody and making sure that people have a voice. Like for me, that was really, really important. The way we've designed and built the software platform is that we've it's, it's like democratizing inclusion because everybody has a voice. And for me, that was really important. Like we did two years of research before we wrote one line of code to, to identify what's the problem we're trying to solve here. And what the companies told us is, you know, the biggest challenge we have is collecting the diversity data. And the other challenge we have is we're doing this really great work, but we don't know if it's the right work. And then when we spoke to the employees, they said to us, we do not like disclosing personal things about ourselves and having that attached to our HR record. And they said, we do have internal systems and internal surveys and engagement surveys and all of that, but we don't trust the confidentiality of them. So therefore, we don't, uh, we don't um, want to participate. We want to be heard. So that's how we've designed the platform. It's a way for everybody to have a voice safely, uh, build their diversity profile, give their feedback, uh, on the culture of the organization. And then we bring that to the organization through science and through analytics to point them in the right direction around what do they need to do to focus on diversity and to build an, and that sustainable business uh, through the inclusive culture. And what are, are some of the things you, you've learned so far? What are some of the pieces of information that have come through from the platform? Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, one of the things I really like, because I'm a dog owner, <laughs> um, is one of the one of the data points that we've seen throughout COVID is the rise of dog ownership going from 12.9% uh, up to 19% in some countries, which is very interesting. Uh, and then we were talking to um, some of our Canadian customers and they were saying it was actually plants that people started to collect throughout COVID in Canada, not, not pets, which was very interesting. 
Um, but some of the other things that we found, uh, like one of the data points, for example, we collect is around uh, people with additional caring responsibilities. And it's very interesting that a lot of our, our clients and a lot of organizations, not just our clients, haven't thought about that when it comes to uh, supporting people in work and, and supporting working parents in particular. Do they have additional caring responsibilities that maybe we need to take into consideration and make sure that they're supported throughout their working life with us uh, um, in supporting them in that? The other thing is... Um, which is very interesting and data just to say that doesn't exist anywhere else in the world is around our this self uh, report around neurodiversity so we have seen exceptional levels of people self identifying as neurodiverse uh, and in some cases up to 18 19% in organizations and what we're finding is that people are not neurodiverse people are not disclosing that to their employer so which means they're going into work every day trying to cover that and trying to get by instead of asking for what type of accommodations they might need. And we're actually working with um, Ulster University and Professor Lawrence Fung in Stanford University uh, doing some research around that because, and again, this is about inclusio and global impact, right? It's we're able to work with the experts in this area, look, use our data to help advance uh, learning and advance understanding for employers around what they need to do to be more inclusive and to be more supportive of neurodiverse individuals in work. So it's very, so it's very interesting. It is, yeah. And like we collect over 100 demographics. We have a five-point model of inclusion with 15 scientific sub-dimensions. So when you start to bring those two things together, that data set, like we just, it's absolutely phenomenal. And when you look at it through that psychological and behavioral science <laughs> lens, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. And we also provide learning. So back to that point around shifting people in the right direction, you know, learning, encouraging people to learn about people who are different from themselves. So we have nudge learning built in to the platform as well. So people get, a, get to learn what it's like for people who are different from themselves while they're uh, building the profile and giving the feedback on the culture. And you can completely understand why somebody wouldn't put their hand up on a on a CV or in a job interview and talk about being neurodiverse because they don't want the bias to come through that they're going to be more hassle or less able to do their job. But now when we have that more level playing field and that that openness to inclusion and to learn, it's just a level of understanding that, you know, perhaps a PowerPoint presentation might not be for them or, you know, a big meeting room that you just take in your information differently not that you can't do your job properly. It, it just opens up the world a whole lot better, doesn't it? It does. And, and you, you're reminding me of a story. I remember a young man coming into one of the tech companies that I worked in. Um, he was 22, a graduate, um, and he was a member of the LGBT uh, uh, plus community. And he said to me, he said, Sandra, I was filling out the forms. And one of the forms in particular, he said, there was I, there was no space for me to identify I think it might have been one of the pension forms or something and he said I didn't know whether it was okay to disclose on on that because if I'd answered the question the way I was asked he said I would be outing myself and he said I didn't know if it was okay for me to do that so it, it made me realize that such a small thing for him if he had have seen that he was represented on that form coming into the organization it would make him feel like that this it's okay for me to be myself in this organization and it's the same thing for neurodiversity and it's also the same thing for uh you know for example um uh, people who have additional caring responsibilities if the organization is is saying explicitly how can we help you what can we do let us know what you need and we're here for you. People are more likely to say, you know what, I, 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 this is what I need just for now. I don't need it forever, but I need it. For, do you think you could support me with, you know, with this thing that I have to do or this is what I need right now? And people are, are sometimes afraid to go in and ask, which is it's not a great place to be, is it? That you can't go into work and ask for the support you need when you hit a speed bump in your life, whatever that happens to be. And every one of us at some point in our lives have hit a speed bump. And the best case scenario is that we're able to go into our employers and say, I need this for this amount of time, or I need support with this. And that their manager and the organization is equipped to be able to say, 
of course, what do you need? Let's figure this out for you. And that's yeah. not the case. That's not and the I case. think there was a bit of a, a, a glimmer of that through the pandemic, because obviously we were leveled. Everybody was going through the exact same thing, pretty much. Obviously, people's home setups were different, but there was an understanding that there was no child care, that, you know, people were were stressed out and there was an openness to being able to say, I'm not I'm not feeling great today. I'm going to log on at 10 and work a bit later. Is that all right? Or I'm going to be late to the meeting. I've got to go and pick a child up or I might have a baby sitting on my knee. I heard of a lot of executives with babies sitting on their knee, particularly men that wouldn't have felt comfortable to do that before. And it's almost as if now that the world has got back to normal, everyone just has to pretend like the swan that everything's fine and underneath it all, it's all crashing about. Whereas you're right, when there's this openness and understanding that people want to work, want to do their job well, are enthusiastic, motivated people that every now and then, as you say, are going to hit a speed bump. When you get supported, you get that back to the, the workforce tenfold. And we speak so much now about burnout and the importance of of work-life balance. So it kind of gives to all of that, doesn't it? Not just diversity and inclusion. And that's it. And and like part of the work I would do is in, in particular, I would do a lot of work with boards and, and senior leadership teams around, you know, helping them understand the journey of diversity and inclusion, that it is about all of us, right? It's not something, some technical term that is about other people who are different. It Like diversity and inclusion is all of us. And it's our working lives. And, and that's a good point you made there around the work life and uh, and work, uh, work life, work and life, right, are the two things we need to think about and the balance between that working and, and our lives. Like I've often said, you know, it, and it sounds a bit depressing, <laughs> we've eight hours to sleep, eight hours to live and eight hours to work if we're lucky. Okay, that's the that's the journey of our lives. And if we're in work and things are happening for us in work, that, th- that can negatively impact our life and it can negatively impact our sleep. But equally the same, if things are happening for us in our lives, we're not going to be able to go into work and be 100% productive while that's happening. So for that cycle and, and uh, of, of our lives while we're working, there needs to be that trust, you know, and that psychological safety in our working environment where we can go in and say, I need support, I need help with this. Like I remember back to the the um when i was saying to you claire about the the interviews that i did with the senior uh, inclusive leaders i remember one of them telling me a story of where her her sales director came to her and said uh, i've just had some terrible news um, my mother has just been diagnosed with terminal cancer and she said well what do you need and he said i need to take three months off i need to be with her and she said go be and he went but what like we're coming up to the end of the year and she said that is not your concern. You need to go right now. We'll figure that out. Take the time and go and be with your mom. That's what she said to him. Like that was 15 years ago. You think about that, probably longer, probably 17 years ago. Like that, the fact that she was even approachable in the first place, that he felt it was okay to go in and have that conversation. And then her action that she took, that's, that's the type of um, uh, work environment that we want. And and that's that. It is about that that balance, that that blend of work, our work life, and our, and our home life, and that's what we need. And and people who are supported by their employers will stick with them. I think everybody has examples of where they've had a phenomenal boss or worked in a in a fantastic organisation that really supported them. And but that's what it should be about. It's a short short time here. Yeah, and I think some of the the newer companies are opening their eyes certainly to you know paternity leave or 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 you know it there are changes happening but it is a whole new lens that you're bringing what about then as a an entrepreneur and a business owner yourself it was great that you knew all of this and it had brought all of this into your work with DCU what was it like then to be the boss with with all of this this knowledge yeah, that's so. There's myself and and two co-founders. So when I was on my way into DCU, I said to them, "Look, I I have this 
a plan. I want to build this platform. Do you think I'll be able to do that while I'm in here? And they said, yes, we have Enterprise Ireland commercialization funding. Come on in and, and why not? So I did. So over four years of research and development and, and part of that, I brought on two co-founders with me as well. Arthur Labambo, he's Brazilian and, and Deborah Murphy, who spent 20 years working in, in tech startups. So it was very interesting for the three of us spinning out, very different, I have to say, um, spinning out a company. And now we're a workforce. We've 35 people. We're planning to double now over the next 18 months, double the size of the workforce and move into uh, global markets. It's for me and for all of us, the three of us, it's very important that we practice what we preach. Uh, and you know, for me, I, what I love personally, being the, the CEO of a company, that I get to be that leader. I get to be the leader that I interviewed. I get to be uh, the person who can create that working environment where people are, are excited coming to work. They love the work they do and they feel like they're working with impact. Uh, and that's, we've been lucky, I have to say, in every single person that works for us has that ethos. You know, they want to be part of the mission. As I said, we're a social impact organization. That's really important that we're all here facing the same direction on the on a mission uh, to make the workplace better for, for everybody. But we get to create that environment then here in our own organization. And you're going to go global. So will you be willing at some stage down the line to, to let all of this go? I mean, obviously, as a, as a new global market takes it and sets it up, it's going further and further away from from your hands as such. Are, are you okay with that? Is that the, the part of the mission is to set this up and, and let it fly? Yeah, I think like I think we have a lot of work to do over the next kind of five to seven years. That's what we see. So we have the plan and uh, we know what we need to do around, for example, localization and things like that. Um, I, for us at the moment, it's around building out our team and building, bringing in people who've done it before uh, and grow, particularly our, our leadership team. That's the that's the path that we're on at the moment is uh, building out the leadership team to help us set the foundations to build the global organization on, on, on top of that. It's very interesting. I think for me, um, I get asked that all the time. What's my plan? <laughs> What's the exit plan? You know, and for me, this is a personal mission. You know, from what drives me every day and what drives me to be part of diversity and inclusion and, and what drove me to, to build Inclusio is my sense of fairness is num my number one value for me is fairness. And, you know, one thing I've always said to people is don't step over it. When I get asked, what's that one piece of advice you'd give people in work? I always say, do not step over it. If you see something that's not right, you know, take the brave step and go and call it out. Don't leave it behind for somebody else because then it becomes a bigger problem. Uh, and that's part of me and the work that I'm doing in inclusion. In Inclusio is that and the work that I do around diversity and inclusion is not stepping over it, not leaving it behind for somebody else to do. So we have a long, very exciting path ahead of us. As I said, it is about social impact. It is around advancing the world of academic research around organizational psychology. And we're really only at the very beginning of, of that right now. And it's very exciting. And it's marrying the two, isn't it? The, the psychology and the behavioral science with tech. And there's going to be a lot more of that. I, I often listen to uh, Mo Gaudat. I don't know if you, I'm sure you've come across him. And, and he talks about sometimes the dangers in AI and the control we're giving them. But it's very much a part of our future. And we are going to see a lot more of this, aren't we? I think we are. And, and uh, when I think about myself and Arthur and like we spent, you know, four years building and testing the algorithms, making sure that we didn't build bias into the AI and, and how we've gone about it is making sure that we're using humans to test things out of the AI before we plug it into the machine. Uh, and that's important. Like, you know, AI can be used for good. But again, it's back to that point I made around slowing down like you, you have to make sure and, and take time to make sure that you're not building bias in and 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 that there isn't in unintended consequences in into the way that you ha are teaching your AI to make decisions. So again, like ethical AI is something I think that all people have a responsibility in in tech. If you're using AI, you know there really should be um, 
a responsibility around making sure that it's ethical decision making and that it's not going to negatively impact people. And it certainly is something that we've took, taken a lot of time um, to make sure that we have built our AI and our natural language processing, built it in a way that is not uh, biased. Well, I just think it's absolutely fascinating. And I know everyone's like, what's next and where is this going and what's it doing? And I think it's really important, as you say, to be in it, um, you know, and, and on the journey and enjoying exactly where you are with it right now. But how does it feel then to look back to that point in your life where you looked at a, a gender discrepancy in a workforce to now that you're you're going in and you're you're setting the scene for a better workforce for other people and those around you. Yeah, I, th- I see it as a privilege, Claire, because I know that not everybody has had the same opportunity and perspectives that I that I have. So I take it as I take it very seriously. I take it as a privilege that I have the opportunity to do this. Um, part of my work and it, um, is and uh, and always has been around what I learn, I share. And, and for me, that's, a, again, a, a big commitment I, I make to myself. <laughs> so even as I start on this entrepreneurial journey, and very interesting uh, coming into uh, a, an entrepreneurship as a woman, um, we now see that, what, 6 5 6% of uh, funding goes to female entrepreneurs. And when they, are, when they do receive funding, it generally tends to be significantly lower than um, men, entrepreneurs <laughs> so in some ways I find myself back to where I started <laughs> in a different industry um, but I will be part of the change here and I'm determined to be and I will be um, and that's just the kind of person I am I find a way I break the barriers and I bring people along with me and then I share that so that hopefully other people don't have to take the same hard road that I will have taken. Well, I'm with you all the way. I absolutely love what you're doing. And in particular, I love how you're marrying the tech with the psychology. You can really hear in how you see the world and speak about the world that you have that double level understanding. And you're right, not everybody's going to get to do those those courses. But as we move into a bigger need for people to be tech aware, I think sometimes there should be a little bit more of a marrying, but maybe that's the next project you can uh, <laughs> you can get on to. Sandra Healy from Inclusio, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Claire. I was delighted to be here. Thank you for listening to Changemakers. If you enjoyed the podcast, I would love if you would take a moment to rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people to find the podcast too. Take care. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.